So uh, we are into uh, week two of our Change Your World series. And throughout this whole year, if you're new to Zio today, um, we have a big theme for the whole of this year. Every giant must fall. Every giant must fall. And uh, we've been looking at a lot of the giants that we face in our own life, giants around our finances, giants around our struggles and our selfishness and all that kind of stuff. We've looked at the giants of self-worth and significance and where we find our security. And, and for these three weeks, and this is week two, we're looking at the fact that there are some big giants in the world around us. And that Jesus doesn't just invite us, he commands us to join in with what God is doing in the world to see some of those giants fall. And, and last week, uh, Phil introduced this, looking at the whole giant of poverty. And uh, I know many of us have been doing the World Vision Matthew 25 Challenge and, uh, and I hope you've enjoyed doing that and you've been provoked by that. Uh, in the cafe area, you'll see some follow-up uh, leaflets and things about that. And so we'd encourage you to go and check out the little World Vision area. And if you want to uh, invest in what World Vision are doing to bring relief and help and support, particularly to children in communities, then uh, do go and pick up one of these um, in, the, uh, in the cafe area. Uh, so today, my, my real challenge today, and this is a dangerous thing to say, is to, um, is to get through this message without crying. Because uh, in my preparation for this a couple of weeks ago, um, I, uh, I was so moved by what I'm going to share with you. And it's not that like I particularly want to cry. And it's not that I, I mind crying. Um, but as I've looked into what we're going to talk about this morning, I, I literally found like over and over again on my prep day that I have that I had nowhere else to go but tears when we think about what we're going to be looking at. And so what I'm praying today in the same way that God really encountered me or I encountered him in a way that perhaps I haven't in a long time, that that would be your experience. Because this morning we're thinking about the whole challenge around persecution, the giant of persecution in the world, but very specifically the persecuted church, focusing on how our Christian brothers and sisters are, are struggling terribly in the world around us. And we're rooting this whole uh, three-week series in a famous story, a parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25, uh, the story of the sheep and the goats. And, uh, and what we're reminding ourselves in this three-week si series is that time and time again, the Bible generally and Jesus specifically challenges us to take on some of these big giants in the world. God has a huge heart that we, we will never be able to fully get our head around, perhaps, for the poor and the oppressed and the outcast. And he commands us to get involved. So I'm just going to read just a few verses, not the whole uh, story that Jesus tells. This is Matthew 25, uh, and we're just going to look at verses 31 to 40. So open your Bibles or turn them on, but it's on the screen for those of you who are guests. And Jesus said this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, the king, which is a picture of God in the story, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, remember, the context of this story is in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's one of four biographies of the life of Jesus. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples, so he spent a lot of time with Jesus. He was present recording this. And these two chapters, 24 and 25, are Jesus telling numerous parables about what will happen at the end of days, the final judgment. He's talking about the fact that every single person on planet Earth, alive today or dead in the past or living and dying in the future, unless Jesus comes, will one day stand before God. We will all stand before God one day. Solomon, hundreds of years earlier, he writes about this day. He says, God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14. Or years later from the verses we've just read in Matthew, Hebrews 9, 27, the writer to Hebrews says, Each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. And if you look at Matthew 24, you'll see that Jesus is very, very clear that no one knows the day when this will happen. No one knows the day when Jesus will finally return and usher in that final day of judgment. But Jesus says that day is coming. And so how we live our lives really, really matters. If you were here two weeks ago, you would have been here for the conclusion of our four-week Greatest Showman series. And I was talking about the greatest show on earth. It's actually not a musical, although it's a good film. The greatest show on earth is that God, because of his great love for us, is rescuing the whole of his creation, including us, and he invites us to play our part in that. That's the greatest and most exciting thing to get involved in. That's our reason for being here. That the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ means that every single one of us here this morning can be fully restored into a life-giving relationship with God and to join in with what God is doing to see heaven break out all across the earth. Can I get an amen? Amen. Is anyone alive today? Nudge someone and say, wake up, come on now. And so, so we talked about the fact two weeks ago, and, and Phil reminded of this, us this week, uh, last week rather, when, when he reminded us that we are not saved by our good works. We are saved by what Jesus did on the cross. We're not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. We are saved, restored into relationship with Jesus, but to then do good, the good things of God in the world. 
And so our whole relationship with God has to impact the world around us. It has to do that. Uh, James, who is Jesus' stepbrother, he writes these words in James 2, verse 14 to 17. What good is it, he says, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, he says, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. And that's the big challenge of this story of the sheep and the goats. The the point that Jesus is making is if our faith is real, if we are surrendered to Jesus on a daily basis, if we're inviting the Holy Spirit to change us and to become more like Jesus, then it will become, as we grow in this, impossible for us to turn a blind eye to the brokenness in the world. It will be impossible for us to walk by because what will matter to him will matter to us the more we become like him. And so Jesus makes it very, very clear in the story that we've read that it really matters to him that people are starving. It really matters to him that people are lonely. It really matters to him that people are homeless. It really matters to him that people are sick. It matters to him that people are in prison, people matter to God and suffering people really matter to God. And, and Jesus goes on, we read it, to make this incredible claim that, that when we join in and when we take risks and when we sacrifice and when we do incredible loving actions, particularly to those our society considered to be the last, the least and the lost, Jesus said it's as if we're doing that personally to him. It's an incredible thing. Mother Teresa once said this, I see Jesus in every human being. I say to myself, this is hungry Jesus, I must feed him. This is sick Jesus, this one has leprosy or gangrene, I must wash him and tend to him. I serve because I love Jesus. I serve because I love Jesus. So we must be involved in in taking on the giant of poverty and all those challenges that we talked last week. But I want to pick up on that imprisoned word and particularly thinking about the challenge, as I said, of the persecuted church, that those people who are unjustly tortured, imprisoned and lose their life simply because, simply because they dare to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Why don't you watch this video? university, they discriminate against Christians like me. Professors, they ask us difficult questions to make us feel. They told us that Christians wouldn't be tolerated in the village. They beat us with sticks. They broke at least five or six of them on my back, and my sister tried to protect me, but she couldn't. My bishop was kidnapped in April 2013. My church was destroyed, and my house was bombed and I lost two of my close family members because of the bombings. When we were in prison, we were all interrogated and questioned. We were beaten harshly. When we were not being interrogated, we were made to kneel from 5 a.m. to 
until 12pm and not speak. On the night my father was killed, it was raining. We worked the whole day and got home late. That night, people came and stabbed him. I loved him. He loved me. He was my protection. I visit students in their dorms. I read the Bible with them and pray for them. cried out to God, thank you, Lord. Jesus, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. The beating was painful, but inside I felt a tremendous joy. The gospel was just theory for us, but when persecution comes, you know it's for real. The role of the church is not only having services, we also help non-Christians. They are our neighbours, and we cannot neglect a person who is hungry. When we give them a loaf of bread, the love of Christ is written on it. In North Korea, my mother taught me only one prayer. I still pray it every day, for my country and for my family. Hananim, Hananim. Lord, Lord, please help. I was very shocked when my dad was killed. But God comforted us and told us that he would be the father of each of us. So there was uh, a report that was published just last year that said that 215 million Christians are being persecuted right now. That's one in 12 of us in this room. One in 12 Christians around the world are being persecuted. And when I say persecuted, and I'm not talking about someone having a joke at your expense at work or, or, or you not being allowed to wear your cross for political correctness. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about being forced to fail your education... Uh, to be imprisoned, to be beaten, to be able to not get a job, to be tortured and to be executed, as as I said, literally just because you believe in Jesus. I don't know if you saw in, in the beginning of May 2019, literally just a month ago, Jeremy Hunt, the foreign secretary, revealed the result of a massive survey that the government had commissioned. And in that, in that report, it talked about how the fact that in some nations of the world, the killing of Christians is at nearly genocidal levels. Even in the last month, if you look at the news, you might have seen that 114 Christian men, women and children were arrested and imprisoned in Eritrea. Many of us will remember just a month or so back on Easter Sunday how 250 people were killed and 500 wounded in churches and hotels in Sri Lanka in a religiously motivated attack. And and those are just some of the ones that make the big headlines, but what's going on below the surface is far more shocking. I could tell you about a Christian guy, I won't mention his name, that Paul and I met in India at the end of March, who had uh, uh, 
become a Christian previously being a Hindu. And as a result of that choice to become a Christian, he was completely ostracized by his family. It was as if they were, he was dead to them. And yet, in in reality, in a sense, he got off lightly because for many people like him who have given up their previous faith and become Christians, they are killed by their family. I could tell you about a friend of mine called Adnan uh, who runs thousands and thousands of children's clubs across the whole of Pakistan. And uh, he's been doing this for maybe even two decades. And regularly, and I mean numerous times every year, suddenly he will have to drive home, get his family into the car and just escape because there are mobs of people going through his village trying to find people like him and killing them and burning down their house. It happens to him every single year. I went in 2006 to, to visit him and what he was doing. And we went to a village church who had a host team like we have a host team. The difference was their host team literally carried AK-47 machine guns. Shocking. Everyday life for them. I could tell you even about Moldova. I was in Moldova just a month or so ago and I met uh, a, uh, a guy who's planted a church connected with Sam and Leo and, uh, and the Orthodox Church, the state religion of Moldova is persecuting the new shoots of life that God is doing through the unofficial church to the degree that the, the wife of the Orthodox priest is a GP and she refuses the best treatment for this guy's family simply because of what he's doing for Jesus. He has to travel hours and hours away from his own village because she won't give him proper treatment because he is trying to follow Jesus. I could tell you about Roy Ponter, who's walking home from church a few years ago, and he's set upon by a gang of youths who say to him, if you don't deny knowing Jesus now, we will cut your body into pieces. And he looked at his accusers with tears streaming down his face and he said, I am a soldier of Jesus Christ. And they carried through on their threat. They cut him to pieces uh, with their machetes and dumped him in a little, in a, in a dump somewhere. And he was 15 years old. This is going on in our world. The stories go on. More Christians persecuted now than at any, any other time. And these friends, if you are a follower of Jesus today, then these are your brothers and sisters. These are our family. Like if this was happening literally to your physical, biological family, what would you feel? But it is happening to your family. How do we respond? What is Jesus whispering to us today? I want to suggest there are three things that we must do. Three things that we must do if we're going to respond to this call. And the first is, none of them will surprise you, is that we need to pray out. And, and I mean like really, really pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are facing such hardship. Brother Andrew, who's the founder of uh, Open Doors, that uh, organization that produced that brilliant video. He says this, if we want to leave an indelible mark on the world, there is no more powerful way to do it than by joining in God's purposes through prayer. Our prayers can go where we cannot. While many things may seem impossible from a human standpoint, in the realm of prayer, there are no impossibilities. When we pray, you can be in North Korea. When we pray, you can be in South Sudan. When we pray, we can be in Thailand. We can be in those places. We can, in the spirit, stand next to our brothers and sisters and in prayer be with them. What do we pray Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4 to 6, 
look at these passages in greater detail later and make a note of them. He says that we should pray that God would help their lives shine in the midst of the darkness. That they would refuse to embrace hate and instead embrace love. That they would reject revenge and they would embrace forgiveness. That even in the darkness of what they're going through, their lives would shine. He says elsewhere in Ephesians 6, verse 18 to 19, pray, he says, that they would be bold and fearless, courageous in the midst of their great trials. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, he encourages us to pray that God's grace and peace and strength will enable them to endure, that God's strength would be perfect in their weakness, in their suffering. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, that we should pray that God would just help them keep trusting God. And, and we should pray that. Like if, if you're a son and you've just watched your father beheaded in front of you because he refused to follow Jesus, it is understandable that you might think, Jesus, where are you? We should pray that they hold on to him even in the suffering and as the early church did in Acts 12 verse 5, we should pray that they would be free. When Peter finds himself in prison, he finds himself enslaved, he finds himself tortured. The church at that time, they prayed that he would be free and he got free. And there is good news in the midst of all of this suffering. There are persecuted Christians who are getting free. Prayer makes a difference. So we should pray out with great passion. Nudge someone and say, pray out. Secondly, we must speak out. Not just pray out, but we must speak out. There are three things, again, that we can do here. We should keep informed about this stuff. Like, go to the Open Doors website. I think it's opendoors.org. I was hoping to have a leaflet. I'll get some for next week. Go to Open Doors. Sign up for their prayer email that they can send out every week or every month. Find out what's going on. Someone once said that giving attention to something, being attentive to the needs of others, is one of the highest expressions of love. So when you show interest in the plight of other people, it's an expression of love. Be informed. Secondly, financially support. Like when Paul and I were in India and uh, seeing what Mission India was doing in that nation. And that is a tough place to be a Christian. In, in fact, like when, when we went to India, we were told, uh, I don't know, we might have to cut this from the recording. Whatever you do, do not say that you're Christians because they'll, uh, that you're here. It was being a Christian is all right, but don't say you're visiting churches. Don't say they'll just put you on a plane. And uh, these are the things you must say. And uh, we thought we'd get through okay, and we were literally grilled like I've never been grilled before. Like afterwards, you can't say, Jesus, forgive me for not telling entirely the truth. But since we've left, we found out we are now being investigated by the Indian government because of us being there. They just didn't believe us. So we may not be able to go back. But this is the everyday experience of these people. The everyday experience. And, and as we, Paul and I were coming back, we were thinking, what can we do? You know, can we send teams over? The reality is what these people need is money. That's what they really need. Like they're better at following Jesus than any of us in the room are. What they really need is money. And so for some of us, we need to financially support these causes and give regularly to organizations like Open Doors or Release International. 
And then thirdly, we must speak up. We must challenge our governments. We must challenge those in positions of authority. We, we must allow organizations like Open Doors and Release International to give us the wisdom to know how do we write to our MP and, and, and what do we do to keep this on the agenda. This is big news and it's actually big news right now. I, I find it really fascinating that again in God's timing when we said that we were going to be talking about this we did not know that in May 2019 this big report was going to come out by Jeremy Hunt. It's like maybe this is important on God's agenda at the moment. So we should be informed, speak up, and we should speak, uh, and we should give financial support. And then the third thing that we must do is, is live it out ourselves. And that's the biggest challenge here, folks. Because the reality is, and I've connected with Open Doors literally for nearly for 20 years now. Like, when it comes to the persecuted church, these people really, I would say, understand what it means to follow Jesus. I remember hearing a story about a, a guy from the persecuted church meeting a, a minister from the Western church. And, the, and the, the minister from the Western church said in a well-meaning way, we pray for you in your persecution. And, and the, the persecuted pastor turned around and said, and we pray for you in your comfort. In your comfort. Because let's be honest, we are all really comfortable when it compares to these kind of things. These people have something to tell us. They have something that we need to learn from in terms of what it means to embrace a costly, radical, sacrificial faith. I want to ask you today, have you got too comfortable in your Christianity? Is your Christianity really, really cozy? Or have you embraced a courageous, costly faith? Have you chosen in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in all the places where God has put you, are you just blending in or do you stand out? Do you remember just a month or so ago when we did the two services? And uh, who was on team that morning who did the two services? Okay, a bunch of us. And, and I remember that morning, I set my alarm earlier that morning because we had to be here so earlier, earlier than any other day I get up on the, in the week. <laughs> And I remember being in the shower just thinking like, oh, I don't know if we could do this every week, Lord. I was just thinking, maybe just pack a few more people in. And then it was absolutely amazing. And then I was so exercised as I was preparing this, thinking like, I'm, I'm worried about losing sleep. These people are worried about losing their lives. What's going on? We hear these stories and it has to challenge us. To not live a bland, lukewarm, safe faith, but to embrace a wild, wonderful, brutal, adventurous faith. Where even if our lives are taken, and that's probably not going to be the reality for most of us in the room as it is for people in other countries. But even if our lives are taken, that we know we win. Like either way we win. It's like the Apostle Paul wrote, for me to live, I will live my life for Christ. And if I die, it's good. I gain. Either way, I get to be with Christ. That's the mantra. That's the core verse of the persecuted church. Whatever happens to me, good, bad, or ugly, I'm in. I will not deny Jesus Christ. Jesus never promised me that I wouldn't suffer. Jesus never promised me that I wouldn't be persecuted. He never promised me that I wouldn't die. He promised to be with me. He promised to get me through. And he promised me an eternity that doesn't have any of that stuff. I, I want to just provoke you a bit and ask you, like, if, if, if you and I are followers of Jesus and we're not experiencing some kind of struggle, some kind of persecution, then we're probably doing it wrong. 
Timothy wrote the, Paul wrote these words to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. Everyone will be persecuted. And so for you, it might not be the kind of things we're talking about, but, but sometimes you're invited to lie and you decide to tell the truth and you're persecuted. Sometimes like you know that someone's behaving badly and you're going to have to have a difficult conversation with them and maybe they're not going to like you anymore, but you know it's the godly right thing to do and maybe it breaks relationship, but you choose to do the right thing. You refuse gossip. You refuse to engage yourself in certain behaviors and people won't like you as a result of it. You will experience a degree of persecution, nothing like what I'm talking about today. The suffering, the struggle, even in September as we pray, we go to two services of getting up crazy early and being here for six hours once a month. If, I, if, if I'm not experiencing any pushback or kickback in my life, there's probably something wrong. Because in my experience, like if you're going for it, if you're taking risks with Jesus, and, 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 and please understand me, I'm not saying you're looking for trouble, and neither am I saying you're intentionally causing trouble. You don't want to be either of those things. But inevitably, on the road of faith, if you're taking your walk with Jesus seriously, then the devil is going to be pretty ticked at you. And he's going to throw some stuff at you. He's going to try and bring you down. It might be in your family. It could be in your finances. It could be in your health. All manner of things that he's going to have a go at you at to try to knock you off course. But in those moments, we hold on. We hold on. We cheer each other on. How do we respond to this? We pray out, we speak out, we live out. We have to live differently. We should be praying those prayers over the persecuted church, over ourselves. God, that our light would shine. God, that we would be bold and courageous. God, that we would keep trusting you. God, that you would set us free from the things that are stopping us living a full life for you. I want to just close by telling you a quick story. In 2010, I'm in Cape Town with 4,000 Christian leaders. And uh, this big evangelism conference. And the standout moment in this conference was when an 18-year-old girl called Gun Chong Sun came up onto the stage. She was born in North Korea. And her father actually was a political advisor to the then uh, supreme leader. But he fell out of favor. They got massively persecuted and they escaped to China. When they were in China, uh, a relative uh, invited her mum and dad to come to church. And her mum and dad became Christians. Sadly, months after that, her mum died of leukemia. And then the father, not rejecting God, pushed into God, started doing Bible studies, and then knew that God was calling him to go back to North Korea. But even before he got there, he was found out and he was arrested and he was in prison for many, many years in 2001. But even in prison, he didn't give up his faith. He started to witness amongst the people there. But eventually, he managed to leave and he went back to Egypt and he saw his daughter for a few months and I remember her saying how he knew he had to go back. And, and she was saying, like, Can't, just go to South Korea. You can have, you know, it's, it's a religiously tolerant society. And he was like, no, I must go back to North Korea, to my people. And then she said, and she wept as she said these words. It breaks my heart to tell you that in 2006, his work was discovered by the North Korean government. And he was again imprisoned. I have heard no word from my family, father nor about him ever since. In all probability, he has been shot to death in public on charges of treason and espionage, as is so often the case for persecuted Christians in North Korea. She told us how sometimes after that she had a dream, and in the dream 
she saw Jesus. Jesus with tears in his eyes walking towards us saying this, Kung John, how much longer are you going to keep me waiting? Walk with me. Yes, you lost your earthly father, but I will be your heavenly father. And she said she woke up and she knelt on the floor next to her bed and she prayed this amazing prayer. And again, I quote it. God, here I am. I just lay down my everything. I give you my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. Please use me as you will. And then she went on to tell us how she knew she was going back to North Korea. I'll let her tell you herself. Now, God has placed deep in my heart a great love for North Korea. Just as my father was used there for God's kingdom, I now desire to be obedient to God. I want to bring the love of Jesus to North Korea. I look back over my short life and I see God's hand everywhere. Six years in North Korea, 11 years in China, and the time of being here in South Korea. Everything I suffered, all the sadness and grief, everything that I experienced and learned, I was to give it all to God and use my life for his kingdom. I hope to honor my father and to bring glory to my heavenly father by serving God with my whole heart. Currently, I am working hard to get into university to study political science and diplomacy. Then, I want to work for the rights of the people of North Korea whose rights have been taken away. I believe God's heart cries out for the lost people of North Korea. I humbly ask you, my brothers and sisters here in this place, to have the same heart of God. Please pray that the same light of God's grace and mercy that reaches my father and my mother and know me will one day Soon down upon the people of North Korea, my people, thank you.